Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. Hope you've been really blessed by the time we've spent together in the book of Romans. I know speaking to a lot of people, it's been a, a, a time for many of, um, of new revelation, of freshness, uh, new things in familiar places, which is really good. And I know a lot of people have really been uh, helped by us going through it together and sharing the word together and encouraging one another together and sharing our revelations one with another. That's what we should be doing as God's people. Um, And this morning I just want to start with Romans 1 and verse 17, which says this. This is uh, in the NIV. It says, For in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And this morning I want to talk about living by faith. Uh, If you turn with me across to Romans 4, and this is where we're going to base ourselves this morning, reading about Abraham and his journey of faith. Just whilst you're turning to that, just to recap, when we started Romans, remember right at the beginning we talked about identity and the importance of identity today, people needing to know who they are. And when you know who you are, you know what you're here for, and you know what you're here for, you know where you're going. And as God's people, we need to be those who know who we are what we're here for and where we're going. And we need to be able to tell a waiting world out there that has no clue what it's here for and has no clue what's coming because only God knows and his people. So this morning, when we uh, get into the word, I want to talk to us about Abraham. But as we read through this um, portion of scripture, I want you to remember this. This is not just about Abraham. But this is written for you. This is not just the story of Abraham's life, but it's the story of your life, whether you know it or not. So we're going to start at verse 13 of chapter 4. I'm reading from the ESV this morning. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham. Who is the father of us all, as it is written? I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old. And when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had 
promised. That's fantastic, isn't it? It's inspirational. It's about Abraham and it's about you. Abraham is often referred to as the father of our faith. And I think the reason for this is because when the promise came to Abraham, when we read in Genesis, the promise came on multiple occasions to him. But when it came, it came to Abraham alone. And Abraham had nothing except God's word to believe on. He didn't have other believers around him. He didn't have the word with the promises of God written down. All he had was what God had told him. But that was enough for Abraham to believe something that was utterly amazing. And that makes him the father of our faith. Because he believed something that was impossible in the natural, purely on God's say-so. And you know what, folks? Faith has not changed. Faith is still the same. Faith is still believing that God will say what he said he will do, and not wavering from that. But being convinced that because God said it, even if it's impossible to all the known laws of the universe, it's going to happen. And that's what I want us to focus on this morning, because that's the faith that we are now heirs of. We have inherited that faith. We read um, in this passage that that we share, this is in verse uh, 16, also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham. That's me. That's you. You are the one who shares the faith of Abraham. You've inherited that same faith that's in your heart. It's the reason why you're here today. It's the reason why you're being sustained before the throne of God and are not subject to judgment because you've believed on Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and your faith and your trust is in his blood to save you. It's not your faith that saves you. It's his blood that saves you. But it's his faith that keeps you in that place. Think of the chair that you're sitting on. It's not your trust in the chair that's keeping you upright right now. But it's your faith that's keeping you in the chair. Because you trust that the chair's not going to let your bottom hit the floor any minute. And you know what? It's not. And faith is a requirement for us to have that trust. We're heirs of the same faith. You know, when Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, Timothy, there's a faith residing in you that lived in your mother Eunice and in your grandmother Lois. He could see a line of faith. And there's a line of faith in this house that has come from grandparent to parent and from parent to child and will carry on through successive generations. It's the same faith that lived in Abraham's heart is alive and well and beating in your heart right now. It's the faith with which your heart resonates And it's the faith that God wants to grow so that you can come into all that he's got for you. We're heirs of the same promise as Abraham. Now that doesn't mean that we have to believe for the same thing that Abraham was promised. Let me just explain. Abraham received a specific promise of a son. God will make specific promises to you about what he will do in your life and through you. And that is what you have to have faith for. You're not being asked to believe the same thing that Abraham was being asked to believe. You're being asked to believe what God is promising you, what God is going to do in your life. Because each of us have a different calling, and each of us have a measure of faith that is sufficient for the calling that you have. Whatever God has got for you, your full potential in the kingdom of God, there is a measure of faith for you that is sufficient for that calling. And that is the measure of faith that we 
need to be aspirational for. Not to mimic Abraham and be in faith for what he was believing, but to be in faith for what God has promised you and all the things he's going to do in your life. This morning I want us to focus on one particular verse that when we were reading through the book of Romans, um, this just stuck with me, this verse. And it's, I can't get away from it. And I just thought I need to get into the word and I need to spend time considering this because I believe there's something in this for us that will be a real release for us. And that is in verse 17. There's 17. Verse 17. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. This is what God said to Abraham. In the presence of God, in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. I believe that in this verse, Paul is telling us something extremely important about Abraham and therefore about us as ones who share his faith, but also something important about God, about his nature, about how he works, and specifically how he interacted with Abraham in his calling and how he wants to interact with you in all that God's got for you this morning. See, the first thing is is that God told Abraham that he would be the father of many nations. Now, at the point where God said that to Abraham, he was called Abram, which means exalted father. But God said, no, you're going to be called Abraham from now on, which means father of a multitude. And God came to Abraham with an image of himself that was far bigger than Abraham already had. Abraham went back to God and said, look, he expected to be a father. His name means father. And he said, I remain childless. And God didn't say to him, I'm going to make you a father. He said, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. And so often when we come to God, we have an idea of maybe what God wants to do in our lives. But it's like this. And God comes and says, no, no, it's like this. It's so much bigger than you're currently believing for. And that's what Rita said to us this morning. Pray bigger. Don't let our prayers be small. You can't outpray God. You can't ask for something that's bigger or can then exceed what God has in mind for you. Because all that God will do will exceed all we can ask or imagine. That's what the scriptures tell us. So we need to constantly be praying and thinking and looking bigger. And I believe God wants to open our eyes to bigger possibilities in this place. But if I can say this more importantly, in you. God wants to talk to you personally this morning about how you see yourself. You see, this verse, the first thing that God said was, I have made you. I have made you. Whatever Abram thought of himself, God says... I have made you. I've made you to be something. That may not be the something that you have in mind, but I have made you to be something. This might seem quite simple, but you know what? This is the stumbling block for most of us in our growth as Christians. Because we forget that God has made us something and we start to have an image of what we're to be and it's not been shaped by him. The key bit is that, if you look in the next few, in the second line it says, in the presence of God. 
I have made you the father of many nations, but here's the key bit, in the presence of God. It was in God's presence that he'd been made a father of many nations. In God's presence. Do you know what matters is who you are in God's presence. This is why we talk so much about coming into the presence together, about coming before the throne together, all of us together. In God's presence is not only where you will see him in a new light, but where you will therefore see yourself in a new light. If you struggle with any aspect of where you are, where you've come from, who you are and where you're going, be in the presence of God. Because before the throne room, all of that will melt away. And God will say, forget all of that. I have made you. I have made you to be. And it's God's pronouncement that matters, folks. Nothing surprises God in your life because he's the Alpha and Omega of your life. All of your life is before God right now. He sees when you came into his kingdom. He sees the moment you're born. He sees all those mistakes you've made and all the times you've let him down. And he sees all the times you're going to let him down in the future. Doesn't put him off at all. None of it surprises him. If I can put it this way, he's never really disappointed. He may be saddened by some of the things that we do, but he's never taken by surprise. You know why? Because, yes, he sees the downs, but he sees the ups, and he knows where you're going to end up. And he knows that he has made you. He has made you. And that's what counts. He is the author of our salvation. David said this in Psalm 139. He said, All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. That doesn't mean that God has a regimented plan for your life. The word that David used actually means to mold and to shape. Like a potter would shape some clay. And you know, we have echoes here of what then Paul said that we looked at only a few weeks ago, Romans 8.28, which is that all things work for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We make our own decisions, but God will shape and mould you to be what he wants you to be if we will submit ourselves to him. doesn't mean we won't make mistakes, but it does mean that God will still keep you on track and make you what he has declared you to be in his presence. Folks, we need to be in the presence of God as much as we can to hear that declaration over our lives so that that is the thing that rings in our ears wherever we go. One of the problems that we have is that we stop listening to that. Many of the problems that people have in their lives spring out of stopping listening to the pronouncement of God over us. When we stop listening to him, we start listening to other things. You know, Rita said again this morning that her parents had said to her, you will work in a factory with no education. This is what you will be. This will be your limit. But she said, that wasn't what God had in mind for me. God said, no, no, that won't be a limit. I have made you to be more than that. And some of us, I think, are living sometimes under the pronouncements of others over our lives in the past or even right now in the present. The naysayers that will tell us things that we are not. Some people are still under the burden through their childhood of being told things about themselves that were not true. 
I can tell you from experience, there's only one antidote to that. There's only one way of dealing with it. It's not therapy. It's the Word. In the Word is God's pronouncement who He has made you to be. And we need to be in this. We need to be declaring it over ourselves so that this is the thing that we're constantly hearing. The echo of the Word. I have made you. In my presence, this is what you are. And what God declares over you, you may not be right now. But you will be. And that's what counts. And that's what God showed Abraham. This isn't what you are right now. You're not even a father. But you will be. You won't just be a father, but you'll be a father of many nations. And that's what Abraham believed. And that's why faith rose up in his heart. We sang, nothing's going to hold me back. Did you sing that? I sang it. What's holding you back? Because I know that for some of us, something's holding us back. There are pronouncements. There are things that we've listened to, and they are holding us back. And it's time to take account of what we're listening to, and it's time to say, I'm only going to believe what God has declared in his presence over my life. If that is your rule of thumb and your litmus test, your life will change dramatically. Because I know that all of us are not yet living in the full potential of what God has for us. And that includes me, first and foremost. But I'm listening to the king. I'm listening in the presence about what God's saying about my life. And I'm thinking bigger. You know why? Because he deserves to be glorified and there is a world to win and I cannot win it staying as I am. And Abraham couldn't have been the father of many nations unless he'd left the land that he lived in as God instructed him to do and set out on a pilgrimage for what God had promised him. So the the first thing is that I have made you. That's the first revelation that came to Abraham about who he was. But I also said that this passage has a couple of things about God. And it it says this, the God in whom he believed. So Paul says, the God in whom Abraham believed. What he's saying is, who is this God? Who is the God of Abraham? There's loads of gods. So who's this one? He is the God. But he's the God of Abraham. Because Abraham was his friend. Paul says a couple of things about God. He says this. The God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. This is fundamental to God's nature as creator, that he brings life. He brings life wherever he goes. And he calls things into existence that don't exist yet. Now, these two aspects of who God is and how he works, we can see in creation, but we can see in Abraham's life. And we can see fulfilled on multiple levels through Abraham's life. The first thing is this. It was fulfilled in Abraham's body and in Sarah's body. We've just read, Paul says, his body was as good as dead. I don't think anyone's described me as as good as dead. That's quite an insult, isn't it? Paul said that, by the way. I didn't see Abraham say that. But Paul said that he faced the fact 
He faced the fact. Do you know what? Faith faces facts. Full on. Not side on. Not like that. But full on. Faith faces fact. And Abraham faced fact. But in facing the fact, he didn't waver. Why? Because he knew that God was one who gives life to the dead. Okay, my body's as good as dead. That's fine, because God gives life to the dead. And calls into existence things that do not exist. I don't have a son, but he's going to call one into existence for me. And because of that, he never wavered. Because he knew that God could do the things he said he would do. And folks, sometimes we forget that. All of us. Because God has said something, and we doubt it. And what are we doubting? Well, we could doubt that God really meant it, but the Word tells us that God doesn't lie. He only says the things he means. We could doubt that God said it. Okay, well, let's go and find it in the Word. Because this doesn't change day to day, and never will. Or we could doubt that God is able to do it. Well, then, that's not the God that I worship. Because the God that I worship can give life to the dead and call things into existence that do not exist. And it really doesn't get a taller order than that. It doesn't get more impossible than that. So anything else is possible. That's why the word says, with God, all things. All things are possible. Not the things just promised to other people, except you. But all things. All things are possible. If you can do it for Abraham, you can do it for me. I share the faith of Abraham. So we need to be those that face the facts. We need to face the facts about who we were. This is really important, I believe, for us. In our day, that each of us as believers have a conviction of sin. In the days when we're competing with so many lines of communication and influence into people's lives, it can be tempting to water down the message. It can be tempting to say, let's just bring a sunny gospel. It's great in the house of God. But the gospel is the conviction of sin. It's realizing that you are dead on the inside, in your spirit, and recognizing the only way to experience spiritual life is through the Spirit of God reanimating you as a person. And you don't realize you need that until God shows you the sin that you are stuck in and the toxicity of sin. Now that is a process as we are sanctified, as we mature as Christians, the Holy Spirit shows us a bit more and a bit more and we become more sensitive, or we should do, to sin. But that is really important so that we never take sin lightly. But it's really important that when we bring others into the kingdom of God, we look for a proper conviction of sin. It's not a criticism of a person. If you brought someone in off the street who'd slept out for months and was dirty, and you wanted to bath them, it wouldn't be a criticism of them to say, I don't want to say anything, but there's a bit of dirt on you. I don't want you to feel bad about yourself, but I'd like to clean you up. You would say, you deserve not to be dirty. I want to cleanse you. And that is what the Spirit wants to do when we come into the kingdom. If we don't deal with sin, if we don't have a proper conviction of sin, we will never come into the fullness 
of what God wants for us. There will always be things that hamper us, or as the writers of the Hebrews say, sin that so easily entangles us. It's like having a car that's full of rubbish and dirty, and someone says, here's a new car. And you say, that's great. And then you take all of your rubbish and you dump it in that one and you drive off. But that's how some Christians are living. I'll keep all the rubbish because I've got a new car. But that's not what God has for us. God wants us to be a pure and holy people so that we can be tools in his hand to do all that he's called us to do. We also need to face the fact of who we are now. The Bible says we are new creations. The old has gone. But so often your mind says to you, most of the old has gone. But there's still a bit there, isn't there? There are traits. There are parts of my personality. But God says, I have made you to be a new creation. There may be things in the way that you think still that need to change, and I'll deal with that, but I've made you anew. You carry none of the old. When you went through those waters of baptism, I took all that away. As far as the east is from the west. And now you are new. So we need to be those who face the fact that we are new creations. And there are areas of our life, if I can put it this way, that that feel sometimes that there is loss attached to them. There are areas of our life where we feel there's been failure. There are areas of life where there's been huge disappointment. God is one who brings life in place of death. And all of those things in your life that you would like to just shut the door on and never think of again, God wants to deal with them. He wants to bring life where there's death. He wants to bring life where there's been failure and sadness and sorrow. In Psalm 84, the psalmist says this, when they walk, this is us, when we walk through the valley of weeping, it will become a place of refreshing springs. That the very thing over which we cried will become a place of joy. Surely that's impossible. Not for God. Because he brings life where there is death. Where there is loss. In Psalm 30, David says, You've turned my mourning into joyful dancing. You've taken away my clothes of mourning and clothed me with joy. It's not just that there are clothes of mourning and God gives you clothes of joy to add to them. There is a replacement. God takes the sadness and replaces it with joy, with life in the Spirit. And that's what God has for us. He doesn't want us to keep locked away in an attic or a cupboard somewhere those things which cause us pain, those things for which we're still in mourning. He wants us at a pace at which we can handle by his spirit to replace those clothes, those garments of mourning with garments of praise and of joy. That's facing facts, folks. It's not running away. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. Paul says this. this he was talking about how he was wrestling with God with the things that were happening in, his li- happening in his life. And he says this. But God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. 
Now, Paul isn't saying, I just go around talking to everybody about my mistakes and failures and my weaknesses because somehow God gets glorified. Paul is saying, this is what I was, but this is what God has made me. That there are weaknesses that were in me, but in the place of that weakness, God brought a strength that was not my own. It didn't come from within. I didn't think really hard until it happened, but it came from the heavenlies and it replaced the weakness. You see, when God does it alone, the promise, as we read, rests on grace. God gets all the glory. We're not to be those that don't speak of weakness and put a bravado on. That's not faith. We're to be those who speak of the weakness, of the things that hurt, but to talk about what God has done. That God brought life where there was death all over it. Folks, a people like that will take this world by storm because nobody else in this world can do that. There's no therapy, there's no mindfulness, there's no support system that can bring life where there is death. There are purely coping mechanisms. And the Spirit of God and your walk with God is not a coping mechanism. It's not a coping mechanism. But sometimes we treat it like a coping mechanism. We're not to be limping along, just getting by. But we're to be those who lay hold of the grace of God, whatever the situation, however painful it may be to face the things that we're facing. He's a real God. You know, the second way in which Abraham saw this fulfillment and saw God moving was, of course, in Isaac. Because God was calling Isaac into being. God was calling Isaac from the future, if you like, into the now. The word for calls there is a Hebrew word, kaleo, which means to command or order. Oh, this is my favorite, to summon. You know, when you get a summons, you are required to appear. Is that right, Andrew? A summons means you are required to appear. God summons things that do not exist. And he says, now, come here now. And he summoned Isaac, who did not exist, into Abraham's life. I think like Abraham, we have to be those who align our confession with God. You see, this is how God works, but it's how we work as well. How do you think Abraham reacted to the God in whom he believed? Well, he knew that he was a God who brought life and called things into being. And he said, well, if you said it, I'm going to st- you're my friend. I'm going to stand alongside you, God, and I'm going to look into the future, and I'm going to summon Isaac into the now. And we, as God's people, need to be the same. Jesus functioned his whole ministry that way. He did nothing on his own authority. But he did what his father told him to do by the voice of the Holy Spirit in his heart. And in every situation, he looked at that which didn't exist and he summoned it into the now. Where he came and saw life, he stood alongside what God had said was going to happen and summoned it into the now and brought life into every situation. That's what God wants us to do. In every situation to listen to what he is saying 
to stand alongside him and to call into existence the things that do not yet exist. But we also see this fulfillment in Christ as well. You see, Abraham looked forward and saw in what God had promised him this son Isaac. But then we then find out later in the Bible that Abraham looked further ahead than that because God showed him another promised son who was obviously of greater significance. In Galatians 3 and 16, Paul says this, The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. So Abraham not only saw Isaac, but he looked ahead and he saw another son, a promised son, and this was the son through whom the fulfillment of the promise would come about. And that is that he would be the father of many nations. It wasn't the Old Testament people of God. It was through Christ who was the firstborn among many believers. And that's what Abraham saw. Abraham looked beyond Isaac and saw Christ to see God's ultimate purpose. If this isn't too much of a leap for you, we need to be those that see what God has promised us now, which is Isaac, but we need to see the ultimate fulfillment. You see, Isaac is a type of Christ. He, he points forward to the coming Christ. But Christ is in you. And when Christ arrives in you and makes his home in you, in your character, he is in seed form. You're not yet in the full stature of Christ. But you will be. Because the word says you will be. I have made you. I have given you the mind of Christ. And all of you I will bring to the full stature of the fullness of Christ, Paul says to the Ephesians. I think there's lots of us that don't really believe that about ourselves. That might sound harsh. But when someone says to you, you will grow into the full stature of the fullness of Christ... There's a part of us that says, maybe I'll get halfway there. By the time the Lord comes back or, or, I, or I leave to be with him, maybe I'll be halfway there. But God's promise is the fullness of the full stature of Christ across the body and in you. We need to think bigger. We need to see, look ahead in our own lives and say, no, the fullness of Christ is where I am going. The fullness of Christ is what he has made me. And in his presence, when he looks at me, he sees the full stature of Christ. Because Christ is in you. And he looks ahead in your life and sees you growing into the full stature of Christ. What we have to do, folks, is align our confession with what God sees in our future. We need to call it into the now. We need to believe for it, and we need to be living under that confession in our lives. And if you do, it will accelerate your growth in Christ. Because you will not settle for anything less than the full stature of Christ. You will not settle for anything less than transformative change in your own life. It's the only reason we stop changing, is because we don't think there's anything more to grow into. But when we start to believe that God has the full stature of Christ for each of us, we'll never stop changing. 
will never be satisfied unless God's transformative power is constantly on the work every moment of every day in our life. We won't be settlers. We'll be pilgrims in spirit together, urging one another on until Jesus comes back. But that's what the Lord wants us to see. Paul said to the Philippians, that which he has started in you, he will bring to completion. Completion is the full stature of Christ. The third way in which it was fulfilled was in this, that God was going to fulfill this promise in many nations, of course. And we're the, the living embodiment of that. Abraham looked beyond Isaac. God enabled him to see to Christ. And Jesus said, Abraham looked forward to my day and saw me. But even beyond that, to all the nations that would come into the kingdom of God. And when we are standing listening to what God has declared about our lives, we need to look beyond Isaac. We need to see the fullness of Christ. But it doesn't stop there. We need to see the many nations, which is the ultimate fulfillment. The cross was not where everything stopped. It's where everything went into top gear. It's where everything went into quantum shift in all of creation for the end game which is the fullness of the nations coming into the kingdom of God. We need to look beyond Christ to see many others coming in God's kingdom through us. You see, it's easy to believe that God will bring many nations into the kingdom because God can do that. But when someone says, yes, but it's through you. Many nations through me. Yeah. Isn't it through other people? Why? Why not through you? Isn't it the big evangelists with the big ministries? Why? That's, they're just doing what they've been called to do. That's nothing to do with us. You're here to do what God has called you to do. But the promise is for many nations. You know, sometimes I think where we're at in our faith is that we're just believing that we'll bring someone to Christ. God says, mm-mm-mm, it's much bigger than that. You've got to stop looking at the ones and the twos. Start thinking about the tens, the twenties, the hundreds, and the thousands. That's where I want you to see. As Richard said to us today, God wants us to see things in a different way. Deborah brought the prophetic word about a freshness in our worship. And with freshness in worship always comes a freshness in vision and revelation. The Lord not only wants you to see yourself differently, not only wants you to see your future differently, he wants you to see yourself bringing the nations into the house of God. Whatever your role, whatever your gift, whatever your measure, that you're bringing the nations into the house of God. And that means standing on God's promises, aligning yourself with God's confession, God's promise, and calling it into the now. Faith is not wishful thinking. It's not just thinking as big as you can on the things you'd like and hope for and just saying them. Faith is aligning ourselves with what God has said he will do and believing that he will do it. And in this case, that he will do it through us. I want to read you this little quote from Robert Haldane, who's a commentator on the book of Romans. God speaks of the things that exist not in the same way as he speaks of the things that exist. That is, he speaks of them as existing, though they do not 
then actually exist. And in this way, he spoke of Abraham as the father of many nations. Folks, we need to speak of the things that God has promised us in the same way as we speak of the things that God has already done for us. Let me say that again. We need to speak of the things that God has promised us, which do not exist, in the same way as we speak of the things that God has already done, with the same level of certainty. Faith is the conviction of things not seen. And that's where we need to be. Living by faith means, therefore, a total reliance on God's creative power. That the impossible can and will happen. Because where there is death, he will bring life. And where things do not exist that he said will exist, he will simply summon into the here and now. And that's what it boils down to. That's all we're called to do. Abraham put his hope in God's promise. And in, um, in this section that we've read, it talks about beyond hope. This is verse 18. In hope he believed against hope. It literally means, not against hope, but beyond hope. In hope, that is hope in God's promise, he believed he was beyond hope in the natural. Sometimes you've got to get beyond your hope in the natural before you can start to have hope in the supernatural and the things that God said he will do. Where human hope is exhausted... That's where godly hope takes over. And folks, God is going to take us into situations where human hope has been exhausted. When you come into that situation, don't let your heart fall. Don't think, oh, if it was only God and the doctors. Where all human hope has gone, the only thing left is godly hope. In that moment... When the impossible faces you, that's when you need to confess who God is in that situation. He gives life to the dead and calls things into existence that do not exist. And you have said that this will exist. And therefore, that is my confession in this situation. And I will keep confessing it until I see it. Sometimes it will happen quickly. Sometimes it will not. Abraham waited 25 years from when God first promised him. Now, I'm not saying you've got to wait 25 years every time God promises you something, but I'm saying that we have to have endurance, that we have to not waver. That word waver, it means to try and judge between two opinions, and you can't make your mind up which is right. And sometimes some of us are like that. God said this, but the circumstances are saying that. And I'm not quite sure which one I believe. And we have to make a decision now who we're going to believe. Are we going to believe the facts or are we going to believe what God said? Even though it be impossible. You see, what God has promised in many nations coming into this house is staggering, isn't it? When you look at the world, you think, how is it going to happen? I was reading in um, Isaiah 60 this morning about the mountain of God and the nations coming in to God's people, to Zion. And I thought, how is that going to happen in this world that's so full of death and confusion and loss? It's a staggering promise. But you know what made Abraham different was he didn't stagger at a staggering promise. 
but he stood tall on who God is and what he said he will do. He didn't waver and constantly change his opinion, but he made his mind up. I have decided that God is who he says he is and will do what he said he will do. It doesn't mean that he didn't doubt. Having faith does not mean you don't have any doubts. In fact, Paul goes to pains to tell us that because it said that when the challenges came, no unbelief made him waver. Now that tells me that unbelief came, that there was something to challenge his belief. But in that, his faith grew stronger. So when doubts come, it's not a sign of failure. It's not a sign that you don't have faith. It's an opportunity for your faith to grow stronger and for you to overcome, not to stagger back, not to waver, but to keep with the decision that we have made. As Richard said this morning, I agree. We've agreed. This is who God says he is. These are the things he's going to do, and he is more than able to do them. And Abraham said that he was fully convinced. There's a turn of phrase that I've heard about this house. Not much recently, but I'd like to hear it more. And it's this. God says it. I believe it. That settles it. God says it. I believe it. And that settles it. And that needs to be our attitude as those that don't waver. So, in this wonderful description of Abraham's life, we've seen how God expanded his vision. Firstly, of himself. He saw himself being quickened by the Spirit of God in his body in the face of the impossible that death was going to come, where death was, that life was going to come and replace death. He saw his offspring. He saw Isaac, the result of the promise. But he saw the son that was going to come and save the whole world and through whom all the nations Abraham would become a father of. And lastly, he saw God's ultimate purpose, that it wasn't just one family that God was promising him. It wasn't just one son or one family, but actually a multitude from all nations on earth, from all tribes, from all peoples, would come into God's house. And that was the ultimate promise, and Abraham believed it. And that same promise is here today, and we need to believe it, and we need to not change our mind. But living by faith for us involves cooperating with the Spirit's work, not just to you, what God has done in you, but also what God is going to do through you. And believing for bigger things. Not just seeing the immediate fulfillment, but seeing the ultimate fulfillment. Not just in your maturity, but in the maturity of the house and in the nations coming into this place. Would you just stand with me for a moment, please? Give your legs a quick stretch. You can stretch your arms as well if you want to. It's not outrageous. It's fine. I just want to pray, and then we'll bring things to a close. Father, you said that the righteous shall live by faith from first to last. Lord, we want to thank you for calling us out of darkness into your glorious light, from death to life. Lord, we thank you that Christ is being formed in us at this very moment, that, Lord, you're transforming us from one degree of glory to another. But, Lord, we want to be those who, like Abraham, Lord, have abandoned 
all natural hope, those who won't stagger at your staggering promises, Lord, those who won't waver in the face of opposition or challenge or setbacks, but will stand firm on your promises, Lord, will align ourselves with what you have said to see men, women, and children from every tribe and nation come streaming into your house until the day you return in fulfillment of your promise, Lord, that this whole earth will be, cl- will be clothed, Lord, with your glory, as surely Amen. as the waters cover the sea. Amen. Lord, we want to see it in our hearts, Amen. and then we want to see it in this land and in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, folks. Thanks for joining us today. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching.